This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. I'm Emily Ratajkowski, a.k.a. Emrata. This is High Low. High Low is a podcast where we talk about lowbrow things in a highbrow way and vice versa. This is Emrata Asks which is the solo episode comes out on Thursdays where I pose a question, we investigate it, and come to some kind of conclusion or at least get to some thought-provoking ideas. The world has changed so much in the last 10 years. Everyone can record anyone. And with the rise of video-based media like TikTok, we've seen anonymous, non-famous individuals go viral without their consent Videos and even photos that are widely shared across the internet and then the world that almost have no context make people famous and they become that person from that video essentially for the rest of their life. It feels a little bit like Varys from Game of Thrones who has all the little birds everywhere who report on the happenings. It feels like that sometimes. We all carry around a device that not only allows us to record, but also widely distribute anything that we record. And there are real consequences to what we share online. And I think we should be thinking about that. So the question today is, what are the ethics of taping on your iPhone? We all carry this weapon around with us, essentially. Also can be seen as a shield, depending on the situation. But what are the ethics? I don't think we've thought about this enough in this digital world. And it's difficult to feel like there is any privacy. I saw a TikTok that I'm going to play the audio from right now from at Julesterpak, J-U-L-E-S-T-E-R-P-A-K. The amount of videos that go viral and get posted without someone's consent has become disgusting. And while over the past decades, everyone's been worried about growing government surveillance, the average civilian is becoming just as bad of a culprit. So what she's saying in this TikTok is that we are posting and uploading videos and images for the sake of meme culture and TikTok culture of people, not always just about accountability and, you know, making sure that that person who was doing something horrible is held responsible for their actions. Also just, you know, making content of strangers without their consent and the ramifications, lifelong ramifications that can come with that. It's something that I don't think we're thinking about the ethics of. So today we're going to discuss the good and bad of this new part of our culture. We're going to talk about accountability, police brutality, the ethics of privacy and the right to privacy and what is actually legally allowed, what are your rights versus what's ethical. And then we'll use some examples of good versus bad 
moments of citizens protecting themselves and also using their iPhones as a weapon. Then I'm going to have my lawyer come on to discuss the laws of privacy in the digital age. So let's get into it. Stay tuned for more High Low with Emrata. Welcome back to High Low with Emrata. We actually decided to do this episode today because paparazzi had come up with a conversation with Julia on Tuesday. I've been thinking about this a lot because of Sly. We live in New York City. We step outside of our front door. He's photographed. And it's really kind of crazy that just anyone can take pictures of a 20-month-old and post them on the internet without permission from the parents or any kind of consent. I was in Ibiza leaving to go to Madrid. Um, I'd worked all day. He was super tired. Like I had his bottle in my hand. We were like getting ready to board. And this man came up and pretended to kind of look at the board behind me of the flight times and recorded me and Sly specifically because he was on my chest. And I saw him do it and we made eye contact and then he kind of scurried away. And I was so angry. I actually pulled out my iPhone walked up to him. He sat down somewhere. I walked probably 10 feet away from him and made a point of videoing him and taking pictures of him because it felt like my only defense and also kind of essentially a way of me saying, I'm going to give you a taste of your own medicine. There is a world where I could have posted that picture of him on my stories for 30 million people and said, this creep was photographing my son. I didn't do that, but we were both in a public space. And the truth is we actually both had a right to record each other. Yes, I'm a public figure, but everybody now in the world, you can argue, has a public image. Essentially, anyone can be videoed or photographed at any time. So what I'm really interested in talking about today is what are the ethics and what is the accountability that we have as individuals knowing that? Because there aren't that, what we're going to find out later, there, there aren't that many laws that have caught up to this new digital world that protect privacy. There really isn't. Privacy isn't a fundamental constitutional right. So how do we navigate that as individuals? What are the ethics of how we use our iPhone? We're all monitored by corporations who have access to our locations, data, and even our DNA. But we quote unquote consent to that. And that's a whole other episode to talk about. So now we're going to talk about the pros and cons of having an iPhone where we can record all kinds of things. We have seen political movements that have essentially been launched because of the ability of the average citizen to record happenings. I think most obviously, most recently, Iran and everything going on there. But in our own country, George Floyd and what happened to him and actually so many of the Black people who have been murdered by police and police brutality. There's that kind of ethics behind this, but also we just need to talk about accountability and how important it is for people and average citizens to be able to record even just the protests that were that came out of Black Lives Matter and out of that video of George Floyd being murdered. I do think we should preface this whole conversation with the importance of the ability that people have to record. So we touched on 
racial justice and police brutality and how iPhones have become this incredible, very important political tool for individuals to record police. I think it's completely changed the state of policing. And I think in political movements, we're going to see iPhones and the ability to you know, share real footage in real time instantly with the world be crucial. I think it's maybe the most important weapon people have. Um, and I mean weapon in a positive way <laughs> to fight systems of injustice. There's also examples like Amy Cooper. This happened in 2021. If you didn't see this video, I, I would be shocked. Amy Cooper is this white woman who called the police on a black man who was bird watching in New York City. She has her dog with her. We watched this woman become hysterical screaming at this black man and saying she's calling the police on him. And given what we know about how police react, I mean, and just the history of white women calling the police on black men and how then the police treat people of color when they're taken into custody or in any interaction at all, it's a super, super dangerous thing. And Christian Cooper, that is, they share the same last name, ironically, the black man who was taking this video He's recording it and he basically says to her, please don't come close to me. And then she says she's going to call the cops and he says, please call the cops. And she does. And she says, there's a man, African-American, which that description just that she leads with that is problematic in itself. He's got a bicycle helmet. He's recording me and threatening me and my dog. And it's very clear from the video. There's no threatening going on. Um, and she said, I'm being threatened by a man in the Rambo. Please send the cops immediately. It's awful. It's an awful video. And it feels like you're witnessing you know, the beginning of somebody being put in serious danger, Christian Cooper. What happened after this video was released is what I'm interested in. Amy lost her job, which I, I don't know if we think that's fair or not, but definitely I think there's accountability needs to, there needs to be something, there needs to be consequences for her action, right? But she started receiving death threats. A lot of people were calling for her dog to be taken away from her. And even Christian Cooper, who took the video and posted it, said, I'm not sure that her one minute of poor decision-making, bad judgments, and without question, racist response necessarily has to define her completely, you know? He didn't press charges against her, which he could have, by the way. What's interesting about this example is that this one moment is going to probably define this woman forever. Of course, not everybody's going to remember Amy Cooper, what happened. I don't think it's going to be every day of her life. That being said, if you Google Amy Cooper Park or Amy Cooper, this is the first thing that comes up. So she, whenever she's going to have another job, whatever. And listen, I'm not defending her actions. And I don't think he is either. He said, you know, again, this is without question a racist and, and I'm going to say very dangerous thing that she did. But it is one moment of her life and that video getting uploaded, it's something to consider and to think about. So, you know, this weekend I was at a bar at a birthday party and I was outside and I watched this guy get kicked out of this bar. And his first thing wasn't to punch the doorman or anything like that. It was to pull out his iPhone and start recording the doorman. And you could tell the guy who was had kicked him out of the bar got super, super nervous because he was wondering like, oh no, is this going to be, you know, get posted online and then all of a sudden I lose my job or everyone sees me as this asshole door guy. So it was just really an interesting moment where I watched uh, somebody choose their iPhone and the ability to record someone as a 
threat instead of like physical violence or even, you know, yelling necessarily. And I see that a lot with random videos online where one person will pull out their video and then the other person pulls out their video and they're like, no, I'm recording you. No, you're the one who's going to get on blast. And like two people are screaming at each other like, no, no, like I'm the one recording. So there's so many examples now. We live with this reality of iPhones as this really powerful tool for good, but also for things getting taken out of context. So this woman posted a video of a guy um, texting on his iPhone and it went viral on TikTok. She said, she put text over the video and it says, when he texts you that he can't do dinner because he's out of town, but then you see him crossing the street while you're waiting for an Uber. So this guy, people went off on this dude. They ended up finding him um, and it turned out that he actually had a girlfriend and the creator of the video had to admit like, oh no, this was just a random guy on the street that I decided to make this TikTok of. And this dude was like, whoa, I don't know this person who made this video. Everyone's coming after me, calling me an asshole. And it turned out that there was, it was actually just a fabricated thing that, you know, was made for the purpose of basically having a funny TikTok. And this guy felt the repercussions of that. Another one is this TikToker who I I have to say this video really kind of upset me. She stole a boa from this woman. This woman is a mom and they're in a bathroom and she pretends like it's her boa and then made a video of the fight with the woman who owned the item that she claimed as her own, calling her a bitch, all these awful things. She was with her daughter. This woman's like, in her 50s. It just seems insane to me that this woman would be subjected to becoming famous through this little mini fight that happens in a bathroom. And honestly, I I think the TikToker, in my opinion, makes herself look bad. But when you read the comments, people are calling, agreeing with her, calling this woman all kinds of names, calling her fat, calling her ugly. It's awful. Also, West Elm Caleb, I think, is a good example of this. If you haven't heard of West Elm Caleb, he is a dude who lives in New York City who works for West Elm, who had basically done the exact same thing. He was on the apps, and he had had very similar interactions with, it seemed like, every woman in downtown New York. And he started getting dragged on TikTok, and it was trending, West Elm Caleb. Everybody had interactions with West Elm Caleb. All these girls were dating this guy simultaneously or within a few months and had had the same interactions with him and knew that he worked at West Elm. So within, I mean, I think a day, people had identified this person and he was dragged in the streets. And it became this conversation about privacy. And, you know, like the guy hadn't done anything illegal. He'd maybe been kind of like a douchebag and maybe even you could say an asshole, whatever. But, you know, this dude had no way to defend himself. And all of New York hated him. At the same time, there's often low accountability for the way that people behave and their patterns of behavior. So a lot of women were rejoicing and saying like, this is an amazing moment where TikTok has like held this person accountable for being a piece of shit to a lot of women and and love bombing and blah, blah, blah. And he sent around this one specific playlist. I mean, it's it's kind of funny, right? But it's also, you know, really real. And and I just want to be clear. I thought this was a really interesting moment because All of my female friends felt very strongly about how great this was and how, wow, what a new, what a time to be alive. And all of my male friends were like, this is so fucked up. What about privacy? Blah, blah, blah. So, you know, I feel like sometimes people stand on either side of this, not because of the ethics of it, but because of 
how it impacts them and their experience. Obviously, I have a specific relationship to image and ownership and being a public person who lives in New York City and also just being a citizen. But I think like everybody should be thinking about this, not just about how much they should watch their backs and be careful what they do in public and honestly, even in private. And I think that we as individuals need to be having a larger conversation. It's going to take a minute for laws to catch up to this, but we need to be having a conversation about how we use our iPhones responsibly. And again, I think it's a really important tool, and I believe in free speech maybe more than a lot of people do. I won't get into the Twitter debate right now, but maybe I will in a different episode. But I think we all need to be thinking about how we record people and the ethics of our day-to-day iPhone use. There's so much more to get into here, specifically in the legal stuff, which is why we will be right back with my lawyer, Ellie Heisler, after this. Stay tuned for more High Low with Emrata. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Welcome to the Snapple Market Auditory Experience. Close your eyes. Imagine you're walking into your neighborhood store. You make your way to the back and reach for your favorite Snapple flavor. You can't wait. You take a sip. Whoa, that's a lot of flavor. Mmm. What flavor are you holding? Now, open your eyes and check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavorful Snapple near you. Welcome back to High Low with Emrata. Hello, everyone. So grateful today. My lawyer, Ellie Heisler, who I love so much, is joining me in the studio to talk a little bit about laws, privacy laws, copyright, and what are not the ethics so much around the stuff we've been talking about today, but the actual legal protections. What are the laws? What are our rights and how that works? Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. So I guess I want to talk a little bit about privacy law in general. This is just me, like layman's, whatever. Are there updated laws for kind of the new technology that's happened in the last 10 years around protecting citizens and and their privacy? Yeah. So when you talk about privacy laws, I mean, taking a step back, right? So there is no constitutional right to privacy. But the Supreme Court has said that several of the amendments create this right. And so they've extrapolated from those amendments to basically create certain law. And what is the kind of base understanding based off of those extrapolations? Like what what is the standard for privacy in the Supreme Court? I'm sure that's a really complicated, (laughs) nuanced question. I'm just curious. (laughs) It's a very difficult question because Roe v. Wade was decided on this right to privacy, and then it was reversed by saying that there is no right to privacy, wow. right? And so it's extremely complicated and I'm def- I'm not a constitutional rights right. lawyer, so it's well beyond what I could like opine on. Yes. So it's a state by state law, right? So when you when there is no federal law on point, the states have a, a decision to make like is this something that we're going to try to protect. Mm-hmm. So each state can figure out how they want to rule on what a right to privacy looks like if at all. 
And the right of publicity actually comes out of the right to privacy in a lot of states. So the right of publicity, which you're familiar with the concept, but maybe not those exact words, but it's the right to control your name, image, likeness. In California, it includes your voice and your signature um, for any commercial purpose. Okay. But as far as the evolution of privacy laws, where I've seen a lot of that is in data privacy, which is very different than your personal privacy. Right. What I'm really curious about was if you are in a public place, you should expect that you might be recorded and there there will be very little you can do unless you can prove defamation, correct? As a citizen, not as a public persona. So different things, right? Defamation is you're going out there and you're telling something that's not truthful about the person. So the argument of if you're being recorded, you actually did what's on camera. So you can't really make a defamation claim. The only time I could see a defamation claim working is if what was recorded was then edited to make it look different than what you actually did. It's so complicated, right? Because there's people, there's a five second video. It doesn't give you context for the whole situation, right? Totally right. But again, it's complicated because it goes, it boils down to what's the expectation of privacy. And if you're out and about, be on your best behavior. (laughs) Yeah, right. But if you really were somebody who cared about your privacy, you basically shouldn't step outside your house anymore, right? Because everyone else has an iPhone. And so you're in public space and anyone can record you. And there you go. Just even as a woman, like being followed on the street or something, and then you can turn around and take a recording of that guy. That is something I've done multiple times where I'm like, smart. now I'm recording you, sir. And so are you really going to be this creepy? Are you going to say these things to me? Whatever. I have your face on my phone. There's no way to really be off the grid. It's very, I guess what I'm trying to think about is, is there a way to protect yourself from the digital age and these viral moments? Well, here's the problem. So if you can't preempt it, right, and it's already out there, once something's online, it's out of your control, right? So what are you going to do about it? Like the harm is already done. And the hope is that If you take an action after the fact, people know that you're not fucking around. So hopefully they won't, like others won't pursue you. Mm -hmm. But for a private citizen, it's really like, it's not the same. You know, if they become Karen, they're Mm -hmm. Karen. That's a really interesting distinction that there's a different standard between public persona and private citizen. Yes, that's absolutely true. And I think part of the thinking around that, and I think the courts are going to double down on this thinking is when you're a public figure, you have access to the media. You have access to your followers on your platforms, right? So you can go and try and correct a narrative because you have that ability. Whereas a private citizen who was unknown and then gets filmed somewhere or is written about and placed into the public eye, they don't have that same level of access to be able to tell their side of the story, nor did they pick a career that puts them into the public light, which is there's a trade-off, right? So you're going to feel far more sympathetic to a private citizen than you would to a public figure. Yeah. I'm just thinking about all the stories that we are talking about today where there's a specific example I'm thinking about where this young woman basically stole this woman's boa and they got in a fight in the bathroom. And, you know, it's all from the perspective of this TikToker. And she's basically like calls this woman a bitch, says all these like awful things and is like about this older woman. She's there with her daughter. And could that woman sue that TikToker for 
videoing her. I mean, they're in a public bathroom, I think. Does it matter where the video is taken? Yes. So tell me about that. <laughs> it does matter, but it's the threshold question is, do you have a reasonable expectation of privacy for where you are? So when you started saying, there's this woman that got videoed in the bathroom, my first thought was, was she in the stall? Was she in the area that you wash your hands? Was she in a place where she would expect it for it to be private versus public? So if she was in her stall doing her business and someone was recording her, I think that there would definitely be grounds to sue because you have an expectation of privacy when you're in a stall, even if you're in a public restroom, right? But if you're at the sinks, less privacy. Right, exactly. Bizarre. And so it's a fact-based question that you know both sides would have to argue. Somebody may argue, even if you're in a stall, you don't have an expectation of privacy because you're in public. That's so interesting. There was a video of a woman like slipping out of an Amazon truck in like a little black dress. And <laughs> yeah, and it went viral. It was like insane, like 20 million views, whatever. And that Amazon worker lost his job the guy who was driving the truck because, you know, the insinuation of that video. Yeah. Do we know exactly what had just happened? And no. We don't. We don't. So it feels, yeah, it feels unfair. I agree. And I think that that analogy of the iPhone being a weapon actually is perfect. And it can be used, in my opinion, as a shield or a sword, mm -hmm. right? If it's a sword, it's you're using it as an offense, yeah. right? And then if it's a shield, it's your defense move. So if somebody's talking shit or saying X, Y, Z happened, mm -hmm. you have your recording. It's your receipt. That leads me to want to ask you about Dumois because they will post, they have kind of a disclaimer at the top of every Sunday sightings post or whatever, where they say like, we don't know if any of this is true, essentially, but we're sharing it. What what are the rights around those, um, around that kind of submitting of encounters or just seeing uh, sightings? It's not codified in any sort of way, right? So I think this is a theme that the laws haven't caught up to this digital era. Whether they will or not, I mean, remains to be seen. My assumption is there will be some changes in the future just because technology evolves so quickly and there are these new issues that are reoccurring. And I think the courts are going to eventually be fed up with dealing with certain issues over and over again. It goes back to you're out in public, you're saying these things. Like if you don't want it to ever be reported or recorded in any way, don't have that conversation in public. Have you seen there's, I don't know if it's an Instagram or a Twitter, but they zoom into what people are texting on their phones. I saw a video actually of a dad um, with his daughter and he was sending a you know text to someone at a baseball game and the person behind recorded what he was texting is there any law against doing that? That's such a good question. <laughs> I mean, I think that I think that's unethical. Yeah, the, I'm not aware of any protection there. That it's I mean, I a thousand percent agree with you. It's completely unethical. Yeah. And you're going out of your way. This person's having a text conversation. They're not even doing it out loud. Like, what more can they do? Cover their screen? You can get those little screen protector things where it's, yeah. But I mean, nobody has. I only know very famous celebrities have that <laughs> where I you can't only see black, you know, if you look at it from every other angle, except unless it's right in front of your face. Yeah, that's very genius. You know who makes it? I don't, but sponsor the pod, please. I mean, this is a big question. This is really a personal opinion. Do you think that there should be new laws in place that are considering privacy in a new way and before the digital age? Because obviously, we talk about police brutality. We talk about accountability. There are there are good parts to being surveilled and kind of citizens surveilling each other. 
scary. (laughs) As I said that, I was like, oh, God, I can't believe there are good parts. But I guess there are, right? It feels like very like 1984. It feels very 1984. So should there be laws that protect privacy in in this new era? So I'm going to answer your question, but I'm going to – I'm thinking through and – Here's there's tension, right? There's tension between your privacy and then a person's First Amendment rights. And this country really values free speech. They value news and information. So every time you create a law that limits something, mm-hmm. uh, well, any any law, right? There's going to be downstream consequences. And in the legal world, I was so annoyed in law school, like forever ago, they would always say the slippery slope argument, right? The minute you do this, it's like these unintended consequences are going to be bigger than you ever anticipated. Like you should have never even done X to try to prevent. So should there be some law I, I think yes. And I think that from an ethical standpoint, otherwise we're, ter- we're going to be the wild, wild west of too much information, false information, information used to weaponize and and not necessarily for like its intended purpose or the good of it. The challenge though, again, is like to what extent and you don't want to be censoring. Right. And so you see this, like there's so much debate right now over Elon Musk's version of Twitter, right? Yeah. And the minute he acquired the company and stepped in, the amount of hate speech has like gone through the roof, right? What, if anything, is he going to do about it? And what should he do about it? And those are probably two very different things. I expect that what he will do is not much and what he should do might look a little different. But again, that kind of goes to the same thing. Like if you start regulating what people are allowed to say, is that a good thing? No, I think the way that free speech and right to privacy collide is really interesting. I think the way that the laws haven't been updated for the digital age is really scary and interesting. And I am so grateful you came onto this podcast. (laughs) I love you, Ellie. I think you're an amazing lawyer and I'm so happy you're on my team. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, so we covered why I'm fascinated by this, my own experience with ownership and privacy and all of that. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Right now, we're going to play a little bit from our subscription episode that you can sign up for. It's entitled Talk Back. This is the episode where I respond to your voice notes, your DMs, uh, your thoughts generally about the podcast. So this is a little taste of what's to come. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Talk Back. I'm really excited about this because I've already been hearing from you in the streets. I was walking Colombo earlier this week and this woman stopped me and was like, I listened to the first date episode and I have a lot of thoughts. And I said, girl, you got to submit them on hilo.fm or DM me. And she was like, I'll talk to you right now. And she basically said, I want to agree with you, but sis, I've had terrible experiences with first date sex. So listen, if you see me on the streets and you've listened to these episodes, I'm taking submissions IRL as well. (laughs) But we're going to respond to a couple of the voice notes and the written submissions we got. Thank you so much to everyone who wrote in. There were so many different people who had really interesting experiences. I think this is a really important submission. And it's actually something I've been talking about with a lot of my friends and friends of color because I am a white woman. And this podcast is from the perspective of a cis, well, cis-ish white woman who walks around the world with pretty privilege. And I want to think and talk about that stuff and 
and include intersectionality in everything I do, there's also nothing worse to me than a white woman trying to talk about topics she doesn't know about. So I want to read the submission. I think if the podcast is aiming to be representational of all women, it's important for intersectionality to be at the forefront of your discussions, which is one thing I'd love to hear you talk about. I think your first two episodes really hit the mark, but I feel as if they were mainly representing cis white women and there was mostly just talk about heterosexuality. I'd love for you to discuss the importance of intersectional inclusion in the topics you speak about. For instance, how does making a decision to have sex on the first date differ for women of color, non-binary people, or trans women? There's a lot more body politics that have to be navigated for them than white women. I hope you guys continue to hold me accountable in that way. Luckily, I have a really generous EP, Sarita Wesley, who is willing to come on and weigh in on this topic. One thing that I think about when I think about intersectionality and just making this podcast and making things in general, like I hate that it's always put on, the work is put on people of color and to come in and clarify and like, and that always feels weird for me because I'm like, yes, I want to give my friends who have different varied experiences a platform, but I'm navigating a tricky space where I'm like, Sarita's job is not to come on this podcast. I'm really glad you're here and I'm really grateful you're here, but I also don't want you to have to do more labor. But I do think that representation is so important and I really appreciate you being willing to to do that. For sure. It's so nuanced because we would have to go back so far you know, when it comes to whose job it is and who the onus gets put on. Mm-hmm. And you are correct. The onus does a lot of times get put on people of color to speak up about intersectionality. I'm happy that this person wrote in because I feel like there's a level, at least for me, and I'll be really honest, and I hope this doesn't make me sound awful, but I forget sometimes. Mm-hmm. I am a woman. I'm a 41-year-old woman. I was born in the 80s, grew up in the 80s. Mm-hmm. And I was raised by Black women who we've kind of adapted to the system in a way. You're used to doing the work. You're used to not thinking about intersectionality. I'm used to other people not thinking Mm -hmm. about it. Yeah. I'm used to it being on my mind and staying inside of me versus it being brought out. Considered. Exactly. And publicly addressing it. Mm -hmm. Like that's a... That I think is a thing that's like fairly new in the in the community, the black community from and I'm speaking from my perspective, where I think a lot of people, maybe my parents' age, have always accepted the way things are. Mm-hmm. And I applaud the generation that is like the younger millennial generation I'm a part of, and then also the Gen Z, you know, group that is like, I'm gonna actually say this thing because it needs to be said. Yes. And I want to put this on the forefront. I applaud that. I think it's great. So that was a little clip from our subscription episode, Talk Back. To subscribe, go to hilo.fm to submit your thoughts and voice notes, anecdotes, any of it. Let's open this discussion up for the Talk Back episode this week. Let's talk about the ethics of recording. What do you think about how this coincides with free speech? Should the laws be updated? What should those laws be? Can't wait to hear from all of you. Thank you for listening. High Low with M. Rada is a Sony Music Entertainment, Bitch Era Media, and Something Else production produced by Chelsea Jacobson. Our executive producers are me, Emily Radikowski, and Sarita Wesley. 
Our senior producer is Medina Parwana, and our associate producer is Rachel Choder. Today's episode was engineered by Samantha Gatsik with original music by The Crystal Pharaoh. Thanks for listening. <laughs>